This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I have with me Stacy Hartman. Stacy is a partner at Steptoe & Johnson, and we take a look at the continued fallout from the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Digital Trust Realty versus Summers, specifically at two pieces of legislation, which Congress has proposed to overturn the Supreme Court's decision and garner whistleblower protection for those who go to uh, companies before they go to regulators. We take a look at the Whistleblower Protection Reform Act of 2019 and the Whistleblower Program Improvement Act. We also take a look at the uh, CFTC, which is one of Stacy's areas of practice, and what the whistleblower legislation might mean for that agency. And of course, we consider it from the FCPA perspective. I know you'll enjoy it. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Stacy Hartman. She is a partner at Steppetoe and Johnson. And we are going to visit about the whistleblower, proposed some of the proposed whistleblower legislation, uh, the CFTC, and a variety of other things that I think are going to be very interesting for our audience Stacy, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, uh, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thank you, Tom, for having me. Stacy, I was wondering if you could uh, give our listeners a little uh, background into your uh, your professional background. So, in addition to being a partner at Steptoe uh, in the Chicago, New York offices, I co-chair the firm's financial services practice, and that covers not only the litigation and enforcement work that I tend to focus on, but also regulatory compliance and policy initiatives that my partners and colleagues cover here in the U.S. and also um, in Europe with our London and Brussels offices. Um, I'll just say quickly, my practice focuses on enforcement and litigation in the financial markets, and I appear before the CFTC, SEC, as well as other self-regulatory organizations like the National Futures Association, FINRA, and financial exchanges, and then courts around the country, and also deal with investigations when the Department of Justice takes an interest in matters in the financial markets, as they're doing more and more these days. Stacey, um, in July, the House passed the Whistleblower Protection Reform Act of 2019, which uh, passed by an incredibly wide margin of 410 to 12 votes. Last month, the Senate introduced the Whistleblower Program Improvement Act. Um, and these seem to be in response to the Supreme Court decision of 2018 and the Digital Realty Trust. How do you assess uh, what these uh, proposed pieces of legislation did, in, did they respond to digital realty, or did they go in a different direction? I agree with you, Tom. They did seem to have a direct response to the Supreme Court's decision. In that case, the court held that a whistleblower is protected by Dodd-Frank's anti-retaliatory 
retaliatory um, provisions only if the person has reported a suspected violation to the commission, for example, to the SEC or the CFTC. Um, in other words, if a person has made only an internal report within the company, they are not presently shielded under Dodd-Frank's anti-retaliation provisions. Um, there are, of course, other anti-retaliatory laws. For example, employees of public companies who only report their concerns internally are protected by the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Employees of private companies may be protected by various state laws, but uh, none of these really carry the more robust protections available under Dodd-Frank, including greater remedies and a longer statute of limitations. So the pending legislation is notable for strengthening protections for whistleblowers really in two primary ways, and those are expanding the definition of a whistleblower and modifying the timeline for processing applications for whistleblower awards at the SEC and the CFTC. I can elaborate on those if you'd like. You bet. Please do. Okay. Uh, actually, let me make a, a quick note that in addition to the two pieces of legislation you mentioned, Tom, the House Agricultural Committee, which has oversight for the CFTC, just released about a week ago a discussion draft for a bill to reauthorize appropriations for the CFTC through fiscal year 2025. Reauthorization comes up periodically for the CFTC, and in that discussion draft, it included um, some of these same provisions for whistleblowers under the CFTC's program. So, I guess more more legislation to the pile. But let me let me address those two primary um, strengthened protections for whistleblowers. I mentioned one is expanding the definition of a whistleblower. And the proposed legislation in all the acts we've talked about would amend Dodd-Frank to broaden the definition of a whistleblower and provide protection for internal whistleblowers who report alleged violations to their employers, but not to the SEC or the CFTC. In terms of the other protection, um, the legislation would impose deadlines to ensure a more timely processing of whistleblower award applications. We've seen in the past several years that it can take years for a whistleblower to obtain an award. Awards to whistleblowers are really based on a portion of the monetary sanctions that are collected by the SEC or CFTC. And I think there's been a report that it can take two to four years um, in the case of the SEC, to determine whether a whistleblower will receive an award. And, of course, that only begins once there's been an enforcement action following a full investigation, a collection of the fine, and then the processing of the award. What this legislation would do is limit the um, time period to one year. We give, in other words, the SEC and the CFTC um, would require that they issue an initial award determination within one year of the deadline to apply for an award, and that should cut down quite significantly on the time it's taken for processing of the award. Stacy, I think many of my listeners are going to be familiar with the whistleblower process at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Have there been any differences in the program run by the CFTC around whistleblowers or, and or awards uh, in your practice? 
There are a few differences that may be of particular interest. One is where the whistleblower provides information to both the CFTC and the SEC um, based on the same facts, and the CFTC permits that whistleblower to collect an award from both agencies, whereas the SEC restricts a whistleblower who's already received an award from the CFTC by providing the same information to each agency from obtaining any award from the SEC. So in the SEC's program, there's no double dipping. The CFTC does not contain a similar restriction. And uh, perhaps another difference to raise is that unlike the SEC's rules, the CFTC's rules do not exclude employees of public accounting firms. Um, from being whistleblowers, and that means that outside auditors of companies who are regulated by the CFTC may report original information to the CFTC and qualify for an award. The reasoning for that is uh, really that outside auditors face an existing obligation to report violations to the SEC, but there is no similar requirement under the Commodity Exchange Act by which the CFTC uh, acts. So this is a way of perhaps bringing it more in parallel. Stacey, one of the more interesting developments uh, that I have seen come out of the CFTC in this calendar year has been its discussion around potential enforcement of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Um, I played in this space for about 15 years, and I'd not really seen the CFTC be a part of it. FCPA enforcement actions or investigations in the past. Uh, I was wondering if you have seen uh, any trends in this area, or is this something the CFTC is just beginning to look into? Well, it's certainly the beginning of what it has announced it has been looking into, and and the first uh, couple of investigations that have been made public have only come very recently. So I certainly agree with you. It is a notable development. Um, what makes it particularly interesting, I suppose, for lawyers um, first and and probably even more concerning for clients, is that foreign corrupt practices is not an area that um, the CFTC has really had involvement in or had authority to pursue. I think um, it will be known to uh, your listeners, that the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the statute that um, governs the actions we've seen in the news for decades, that statute is enforced by the SEC and DOJ and does not extend to the CFTC or other government agencies. And although the SEC is limited to those who are registered with it, the DOJ's jurisdiction is not limited to the SEC realm. But now, as you mentioned earlier this year, the CFTC's Department of uh, Enforcement issued an advisory encouraging self-reporting and cooperation for um, potential violations of the Commodity Exchange Act involving bribery and other corrupt practices taking place outside the United States. I think what makes this of particular concern is not only that it is addressing activities outside of the United States, and we all think of the CFTC as having its jurisdiction limited to what affects U.S. markets, 
Um, but it also, according to the advisory, specifically applies to companies that are not even required to be registered with the CFTC. And that could include commercial end users in the energy markets or agricultural markets. So it's now expanding the net of those who may come within the CFTC's sphere of interest. What the CFTC has said about this, Tom, is that um, they are seeking to close the gap between the policing of foreign corruption and the CFTC's investigative and regulatory framework under the Commodity Exchange Act. But I think to many of us practitioners, it's not entirely clear what gaps exist, particularly given the Department of Justice's broad reach and um, case law that has addressed the extraterritorial jurisdiction of the CFTC, though not with respect to foreign corrupt practices, but rather um, in dealing with private litigation, has not really supported an expanded, broadened approach to the CFTC's jurisdiction outside the U.S. I might say that I was somewhat confused by the CFTC announcement, but now I may have moved to full befuddlement. Uh-huh. <laughs> the uh, for exactly the reasons you articulated much better than I have in the past. I, I guess how are you communicating this information to clients, and are you ad- advising them to really do anything different, recognizing that if they're outside the United States, um, they would have you know potential FCPA jurisdiction uh, or at least potential FCPA issues. Uh, so they might be aware of the FCPA and their obligations under it. Or is, or is it something else you would need to advise them on? I think more than anything, Tom, it expands the net of those who have to pay attention to these laws. Um, most folks who deal with the CFTC are either registered um, to operate in that capacity or they claim an exemption from registration. What makes this advisory and this it's truly a new enforcement initiative. More alarming is that it it could be more a um, catch for the unwary folks and companies who don't think um, that they may have never even heard of the CFTC and don't think of themselves as having an issue that might come within their jurisdiction. They're finding that they may need to pay attention to it as well. The Director of Enforcement, Jamie McDonald, gave a few examples of the kinds of conduct that might fall within this, and it goes to things like bribes to secure business in connection with regulated activities like trading or dealing in swaps or derivatives, um, prices that are the product of corruption and, and might be falsely reported to benchmark or other corrupt practices that alter prices in commodities markets. Obviously, the Division of Enforcement of the CFTC is um, highly and and always will be significantly focused on the integrity of the U.S. derivatives markets. Um, But we're now seeing that uh, it's become an amorphous picture as to who exactly that covers. Well, that is is certainly an interesting development. Uh, I represent many energy companies that engaged in uh, commodity trading, uh, not as a primary business model, but certainly as a part of their business model. And outside the United States, they I think they recognize potential FCPA uh, issues, but they certainly never considered that CFTC might come and investigate them 
uh, from that angle. So uh, actually with those examples and a bit more explanation, I do see that it, it could really be a trap for the unwary who may not consider themselves subject to these jurisdictions. So maybe the, the people that need to hear your message are not your clients, but potential clients. Ever since Dodd-Frank, I think a number of companies around the world have come to learn what uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission stands for. So this will, I think, continue along that line. Well, it certainly sounds like a very interesting time for uh, CFTC practitioners in your practice as well with uh, lots going on in the regulated space uh, that uh, you work in and uh, other areas. So uh, I think I might want to call upon you uh, in the future if there are more developments. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. We'd be pleased to discuss them. Well, thanks. Uh, Unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, Stacey, but uh, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me, and I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Very good. Take care. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. I hope you'll join me again next week when I begin a two-part series with James Kukios looking at two of the recent Morrison and Forrester international anti-corruption alerts. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.